All right, you can grab a seat. How are we tonight? Everybody good? Well, there's a lot of you guys here tonight. Hey, um, this has been a fun series, hasn't it? Fun so far? Hey, if you haven't gra- grabbed the Bible yet, go ahead. Somebody be the first one. Jump up, grab a Bible. We're going to need, need Bibles tonight because like Nan said, there's going to be points in time you're going, that ain't in the Bible, and it is. So go ahead and grab one. We're going to roll through Song of Solomon again tonight. Hey, um, I grew up in an era when the whole explicit lyrics sticker phenomenon came out. How many of you remember back in the late 80s, early 90s, around and then when that kind of happened, okay? I, I remember when the first CD cases and tape, cassette tapes, you kids in here, we had these things called cassette tapes, all right? And even I remember some records that had the explicit lyrics label on them, and at first they were stickers, all right? Which they learned really quickly was not the best decision in the world, because kids like me would buy the CD, buy the tape, buy whatever, then peel the sticker off, and mom and dad don't know the difference, right? So then they decided, now what we need to do is permanently like impress, emboss those right on the case. That way you got to like throw the case away if you want to try to get away with it and stuff like that. Now, around the same time as the explicit lyric era was, was kind of taking off, there was also this other phenomenon that had been around for a while called making mixtapes. Okay. For those of you who are unfamiliar with the concept of making a mixtape, let me explain it to you. If you remember when we had stereos and jam boxes that had the dual cassette recording capability and the high speed dubbing action and all that kind of stuff, what you could do is you could go buy one of those really long extended play, like two, three hour cassette tapes, pop it in one side, get all your favorite tapes and pick all your favorite songs off of those tapes and put them all onto one tape, which was a beautiful, beautiful thing. And then you could give like love songs to your girlfriend at Valentine's day and stuff like that. And you could trade them with other people and stuff like that. It was a, it was a really, really great thing. All right. Now around that same time, all right, explicit lyrics, mixtape. My mom was on this make Scott go to church kick. All right. She thought that it was a good idea when I was in middle school, high school, make sure that Scott goes to church because otherwise he may end up in jail and stuff like that. And so she was making me go to church. And so she made me go to this weekend retreat that was called the junior high teen convention which is a dumb name, all right? It doesn't sound cool at all to junior high kids to go, I want to go to the teen convention, all right? That's not fun at all. I didn't want to go, and so she made me go. So the only thing that I thought would make it even any better was if I could bring my Walkman with me, all right? Now, Walkmans were off limits. They were like on the list of things you're not allowed to bring because like... Yeah, I don't know. Satan inhabits a Walkman. I don't know. But for whatever reason, churches wouldn't let you bring a Walkman on a retreat back then. And so I snuck my Walkman into my backpack. And the first night I get out my Walkman and I have a mixtape in and there's no like adults anywhere to be seen. It's just me and a bunch of other junior high guys. And I'm listening to my Walkman and my mixtape, my favorite mixtape that on one side had a famous just one of the best albums ever made, known as the, the Chronic album by Dr. Dre, all right? And a young Snoop Doggy Dog, all right? So that was one side. That whole album fit on one side. On the other side was just this assortment, or to use Nan's word, plethora of really explicit, foul songs, okay? So I'm on the B side of that, and I'm listening to some song that's just, just atrociously bad and unbelievably explicit, and I think it's funny because I'm a junior high boy, right? So I'm laughing, and I look at my buddy, and I'm like, dude, you got to listen to this. And so I hand him the headphones and he's listening and he starts laughing. Unbeknownst to us, the, the youth minister guy has approached from behind. Right. And so we're laughing and we're passing this back and forth. So not only are we, you know, listening to, to music, which was off limits, but, but apparently something that was funny, which must mean it was bad, which he was right. So he looks at us and goes, Hey guys, 
What are you listening to? Now, typically when I was in middle school, I was a pretty good liar. All right. But he kind of caught me off guard. And so I responded with something like, uh, Michael W. Smith, of course, you know, and, uh, he didn't believe that. And so he's like, well, why don't you let me listen? I'm like, no, 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 that's cool. I'll, I'll put it away. I won't get it out anymore. And he's like, no, actually I need to listen. So he, he like rips this thing out of my hand, starts listening and his face just dropped. Like he's a youth minister. He'd never heard this kind of stuff before, you know? And, um, so he looks at me and goes, I think I'll keep this for a while. And so we go through the rest of the teen convention and my mom picks me up from the teen convention. We get in the car and I kind of feel like I've maybe gotten away with it. That maybe youth minister guy turned out to be pretty cool after all and didn't tell my mom, but we got about, I don't know, 300 yards down the road and I'll never forget it. She reached into her pocket and I thought, Oh no, Oh no, Oh no, 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 no. And sure enough, she pulls out the cassette tape and sets it on the console of the car. And I just kind of pretended like I didn't see it. You know, I'm just kind of looking around. She had to kind of initiate, Hey Scott, what's this? And if I would have known what was going to happen next, I would have grabbed the tape, broken it in half and thrown it out the window and suffered whatever consequences came my direction. Because here's what my mom did. Now, parents, this is good advice. All right. Here's, here's what my mom did. This has been burned, as you can tell, into my memory. She drove all the way home and she walked in and said, Hey, Scott, have a seat on the sofa. And I sit on the sofa. I'm like, what is going on? Is she going to ground me and all that kind of thing? She takes a tape. She puts it in the stereo and hits play and then says, we're going to listen to this entire tape together and dialogue about its content. <laughs> it was horrible horrible. I mean, it was one of the worst, most embarrassing, most shameful moments of my life. All right. Now here's what we've been tracking with in this series. Explicit lyrics don't have to be embarrassing. They don't have to be shameful. I mean, isn't that what we've been learning the past few weeks is that explicit can also be honorable and holy at the same time. I love how Jim introduced this series a couple weeks ago when he defined the word explicit for us like this. He said this. He said, explicit is fully and clearly expressed, leaving nothing merely implied, clearly developed, definite and unreserved in expression or outspoken. I think that kind of sums up the way we communicate around here all the time. All right. It's basically to talk about real stuff in real ways to real people. But just being honest, it's just being honest about this incredible gift called sex and love and romance and marriage that God has given us. And this is the type of stuff that quite often makes people pretty mad at church and sometimes consequently God because it's been mishandled by the church, hasn't it? I mean, if you had to sum up in one word what the church historically, if you have any church experience, what the church has historically communicated in regards to sex, what would that one word be? Don't, right? Don't. Because it's dirty, wrong, bad, and shameful. But then when you get married, all of a sudden everything's supposed to change, right? All of a sudden, once you get married, then it's okay. So it's dirty, bad, shameful, and wrong. Save it for the one you love. That doesn't make any sense, all right? That's not logical. And so it frustrates people. And there's a whole lot of us out there who are rule breakers by nature. And so the church communicated as dirty, as bad, as wrong, won't even feel good. We broke the rules and went... (laughs) Doesn't feel that bad, actually. And so we get frustrated with the church because we're going, you've mishandled this deal. You lied to me. You didn't tell me the truth because the church has historically just kind of cast a one dimensional perspective on sex. And because the church has cast that one dimensional perspective, meaning don't do it. A lot of people draw their conclusions about God that way. 
and concluded that God is anti-sex, which is not true. God is pro-sex, folks. God came up with it. It's his idea. We say that around here all the time, all right? And so God has this book right in the middle of his Bible that's all about passion and sex, and it's just now heating up. I mean, we got, I get to be up here again next week for honeymoon night. That's going to be fun. Make sure you come back for that. This is an explicit book, you guys, and God wants us to talk about it. So if we don't talk about it, it's on us. It's not on him. Right? I mean, that's, that's the way we've been approaching this so far in this series. So we're going to continue with our explicit approach to an explicit song that's found right in the middle of the Bible. All right? Song of Songs, chapter 2, verse 8 is where we're going. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and go there. If you don't have your Bibles on the screens, it's also in the program. You may want to circle some things and stuff like that. All right? Let me sum up just real quickly where Jim took us so far. So far, we've learned that this is a, a, an older couple looking back on their life, singing a duet about how their relationship came to fruition, about attraction and how they met. And, and last week, they were starting to date and things were heating up quite a bit. So this week, as we pick it up, what we're going to watch is we're going to watch this couple move from just dating into something more. They're going to get serious tonight. They're falling deeply in love with one another tonight. We're going to watch their love blossom. We're going to watch them have a DTR. You know what a DTR is? Define the relationship talk. All right. They're going to define the relationship. They're going to ask questions like, okay, where's this thing going? What's this all about? Who are we? What is this? What's the point? What do you think of me? I know what I think of you. What do you think of me? And this thing's going to heat up. It's going to get serious tonight, which means they are taking a big risk, right? A lot of us know that. I mean, it's one thing to invest some time, some energy, and some money into a couple dates with someone. If it doesn't work out and that's all it is, you're not out that much, right? Because dating is casual. What we're going to watch tonight is something far more significant. And if it doesn't work out after, to, after tonight, it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt deeply and it's going to hurt bad. This has potential. The relationship at this point has prospects. I mean, this could really be the one the really old-fashioned term for what this couple's relationship is moving into has been called maybe by your parents, grandparents, or great-grandparents, this thing called courtship, all right, which, which comes from this idea from hundreds and hundreds of years ago when there were knights and lords and ladies and kings and, and all those kinds of things, when knights would express their interest in ladies of the court and they would go to the ladies of the court fathers who would be a king or a noble or a lord and say, can I have permission to, to court your daughter? Can I have permission to get together with her and see if we're supposed to get married with that end in mind? And it was a very public relationship where the young man would visit, he'd bring gifts, he'd pay compliments, and it was called courting. So in other words tonight, this is directional, Okay. This is exclusive. This is moving in a direction. It's going to end in one of two places, either a marriage or a breakup, which means there's high risk, but potentially high reward. This is where this couple is really going to put their individual hearts on the line and see if they can trust the other person with their heart. Sounds scary? It is. It's really scary. And some of you are there right now and you're terrified. You're scared to death and you should be. Some of you aren't sure where you are. You've been dating somebody for a while. You're going, I, I, don't, I don't know. And maybe this whole defining the relationship piece is important to hear tonight. Maybe you've been there and you remember it well. well let's jump in and let's take a look at what, what's going to happen with this couple tonight. Song Solomon, chapter 2, verse 8. She sings, listen, my lover, look, here he comes, leaping across the mountains, bounding over the hills. My lover is like a gazelle or a young stag. Look. 
There he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, peering through the lattice. My lover spoke and said to me, Arise, my darling, my beautiful one, and come with me. Now, last week, Jim talked about how the woman in this relationship kind of made the first move, right? She, she put herself in a place where she knew she would coincidentally run into him, right? Now, here's the flip side of that tonight. This is a really cool analogy she uses to describe this guy. She says he's a young stag, all right? That means he's handsome and he's apparently athletic as he's bounding over these hills approaching her house. He's youthful. He's exuberant. And here's the point I want you to hear. He's pursuing her. He's pursuing her. Now, I'm not going to make some blanket statement here about whether women should ask men out or not. That's not my deal. And sometimes we're not that bright and we need a little encouragement. Right, guys? We just kind of need that. All right. But I will say this. Okay. From my perspective, and that's all this is, my perspective, what I hear women talk about all the time is how they want a man who will pursue them. A guy who, who will initiate, a guy who will be bold. Just the other day, let me illustrate this, all right? I walk into, our offices are down the street, they're not here, and uh, we have these office suites where we have several people in one big room and stuff like that. So I walked into one of these suites, and I walked in, uh, just, you know, I was in like a haze, I was drinking coffee, I had to put something on somebody's desk, and I realized as I walked in, I had just walked into a room full of all the single ladies on our staff, and not only that, they are right in the middle of a major league venting session about men, all right? And I've walked right into the lair, right? And, and I think if I just put my head down and don't make eye contact and just back up slowly, you know, maybe they won't know I'm there, but they smelled the fear, right? And so they go, Scott, hey, sit down. I'm like, oh, dang it. And so I sit down and they start peppering me with these questions like, Scott, tell us, why do guys send such mixed signals? Why do they act like they like you, but then they act like they don't like you, like they want a relationship, like they don't want a relationship, or they act like they want one, but they never just come around and say it, or they never ask, you know, they're just peppering me with these questions, and I'm just sitting there with my hands folded going, I just want to go back to my office, you know, and I tried, I'll be honest, guys, I tried to defend men a little bit, okay, here's what I said, I said, listen, you got to recognize, ladies, how intimidating this whole thing can be for men sometimes, all right? Rejection is not something we're comfortable with. Rejection is not something we're fond of. Rejection is not something we like to experience. So sometimes it's easier to play games or to flirt or whatever you want to call it because there's less risk involved there, right? It's a face-saving mechanism. It's a way to kind of keep everything subjective and less objective. Because as guys, we kind of know, listen, listen, listen. If I just outright ask, she might just outright say what? No. She might just say no. And honestly, we got kind of big egos sometimes, all right? We're kind of fragile with that whole deal. And so to, to jump into a situation knowing she might say no is kind of scary. It's kind of hard. It's kind of risky. And it's hard to get over. Now, let me say this. Let me talk to the guys, all right? Get over it. Get, get, get over it. Seriously, let me say it this way. Man up. All right? The, the Bible would say it this way. Uh, gird up your loins, which literally translates out, grow a pair. All right? <laughs> all the women are glad. Yeah, all right. That, that, have you ever had a teacher tell you to grow a pair? I don't know. But seriously, that, I'm, I'm serious. Let me say this. Your, your willingness, guys, your willingness to pursue or not pursue, to risk, 
or not risk to engage, I didn't say engaged, engage or not engage, to commit or not commit, says something about your character. Jim talked about it the first week. It's not noble to play games with women's emotions. If you honestly want to go out with her, if you honestly like her, if you honestly want to pursue a relationship with her, honestly tell her. If she says no, deal with it and move on. How about that for a pep talk? Sorry. Listen, it can pay off, all right? You know, high risk, high return, high reward. My wife told me one of the things she says, Scott, you're just not that romantic, all right? But at least you were honest and you just came right out and asked me out. And then a a few months later, I just honestly jumped out on the cliff and went, I I love you. Before she ever said it to me, I, I pursued her and she loved that about me, which is why when I get lazy in our relationship now, she gets mad because I set this precedent that she's, she wants me to live up to rightfully so, right? Well, let me talk to the ladies for a second. Ladies, listen, if he will not man up, all right, if he will not pursue, let me give you the best advice I think I could give you. Move on. Cash it in. Move on. On because you deserve a stag, all right? Someone with courage, someone who will pursue you. Because let me ask you this. Let me boil it down here if you're still not with me, all right? Let me ask you this. If he will not pursue you now, what makes you think he will defend you later? And I mean that in every sense of the term. If he will not pursue you now, what makes you think he will defend you later? If he has to be coaxed into a relationship reluctantly with you right now, do you think that relationship's going to have any staying power at all later on? Let me answer the question and fill in the blank. No. All right. That's all just from a couple verses. Let's move on. All right. She sings. See, the winter has passed, and actually she's kind of reflecting on what he said to her, so it's kind of like she's singing what he first sang. See, the winter has passed, the rains are over and gone, flowers appear on the earth, the season of singing has come, the cooing of doves is heard in our land, the fig tree forms its early fruit, the blossoming vines spread their fragrance, arise, come my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. So here's the metaphor, it's springtime in their relationship. New love is, is blossoming. This is the spring of the relationship. It is getting serious. And then he sings, verse 14, My dove in the clefts of the rocks, in the hiding places on the mountainside, show me your face. Let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. He's getting acquainted with her. He's getting to know her and he likes what he sees. He really likes what he sees. Then he goes on in verse 15. Check this out. Catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards and our vineyards that are in bloom. What? You know, it's like you're doing good, you're doing good, and then you do this. Foxes? What? You know, it's like nature analogy that he always slips into. What in the world does that mean? Well, let me talk about a couple things here. All right, here's the deal. Their vineyard is a metaphor for two things in this song. We'll see it over and over again, all right? The first thing, vineyard, sometimes is a metaphor in this song, is for their bodies, all right? My vineyard, my garden, your vineyard, your garden, all right, is is their body, all right? The second thing, which is what it's referring to here, their vineyard is a metaphor for their relationship. Their relationship is this garden, this vineyard that's growing between them. And here's the deal. It has walls. It has boundaries it's exclusive and there are things that seek to destroy this new blossoming relationship foxes are known for their ability to sneak in and destroy right so what he's saying is is hey let's guard against those things that could sneak in and destroy our relationship 
Let's build some boundaries here. Let's, let's protect this beautiful thing that's growing between us. Let's, let's do that. So what would be some of those things that could sneak in and destroy? Well, the first obvious thing would be someone else, other people, right? This is not some casual dating relationship that they're in now that, where it's cool to see other people. This is him saying, listen, listen, let's be exclusive. Just me and you. Just you and me. No one else gets in and we don't step out. That's preparation for marriage, right? If you were here this past fall in our Behind Closed Doors series, we talked a lot about marriage and, and how marriage is this place where this circle drawn around two people under the shadow of God's wings. We did that whole hoopah thing, which was really cool. And we talked about how there's beautiful freedom under God's blessing between two people, both emotionally, mentally, spiritually, and sexually, all of that. And the key is not to step outside of that and not to invite anybody else into that. So what they're doing right now is they're drawing this circle around the relationship going, let's see if we can be faithful to one another now because of we can't be faithful to one another now there's no chance we'll be faithful to one another in the context of marriage later on no way so they're going to guard against other people they're also going to guard against this thing called conflict and that doesn't mean they won't experience it in fact we're going to see that in a couple weeks all right it means that they're going to figure out if their relationship can survive through conflict i've actually sat down with couples before who want to get married who look at me and go well and I go, tell me about how you guys work through conflict. And they go, conflict? We, we, we don't have any conflict. We don't fight. We don't disagree. We've never even had a fight, to which I always respond in the same way. Go home, have three fights, and call me in the morning. All right? Because it's so important for you to learn how to navigate through conflict in order to understand if this relationship's going to survive or not. And here's the deal. When two people come together from different family backgrounds, you've got all kinds of different stuff at play, right? Some of us know this. All right? I see heads nodding right now. Because some people, I see this happen all the time, where there's a girl who grew up in a house where all the conflict was buried, right? There was conflict, there was things wrong, just nobody ever talked about it, nobody ever dealt with it, it never got resolved. In fact, I never saw their parents fight, which actually is not a good thing because what you produce then are children that have no idea how to navigate conflict in a healthy, responsible way. And some of you have been that child. You go, I don't know how to fight with a spouse, never saw it happen, all right? Now take that person, all right, Put them together with a person who grew up in the WWF for a home, all right, where there were dishes exploding against doors and fists into walls and everybody just got attacked all the time and the, every, the whole neighborhood knew there was conflict, not just the house, all right? You take that person and put with that person, you've got two people who've been crippled by what their parents have demonstrated for them and they have very different ways of approaching how to work through conflict and it is a time bomb unless you talk about it on the front end and here's the key, experience it. You got to experience conflict in order to understand if your relationship can survive through it. And you have to talk about how to fight fair and all that kind of stuff. All right. Allie and I learned really early on that we fight differently. I'm, I'm a fix it person. That's kind of a male trait. I can't fix anything else, but I want to, I want to fix a problem when it occurs. Right. I, I just want to fix it. Then we can move on and watch the game. Right. Because I can't, because <laughs> I can't watch the game while you're still mad at me. Okay. So. Boy, I shouldn't have said, my wife's not in here right now. I don't think she's coming next hour. Edit that next hour. Remember that, Derek. So, uh, so, so we tend to, I tend to want to fix things right then and there. She kind of needs time to process. She wants to address it too. She just wants to kind of reflect and process this whole thing. And I'm also very verbal. All right. That's how I do what I do, I guess. I'm really verbal. So I can win the verbal argument almost every time. All right. But when I win the verbal argument, I lose the sexual one. Right? 
You know, it's like Jim said last week, guys, you can either be happy or right. You can't be both. That is so, that's just so true. All right. Well, let's, let's move on. All right. Watching my time. All right. Verse 16, verse 16. Now he's singing. All right. Or I'm sorry. She's singing. My lover is mine and I am his. He browses among the lilies until the day breaks and the shadows flee. Turn, my lover, and be like a gazelle or like a young stag on the rugged hills. Now, there are a couple components to this. The first component is this. They are experiencing an extended amount of time together. They are spending a lot of time together. As their relationship grows, there's an increasing desire to be together. Now, let me give you this advice, okay? If you're with somebody right now, you're dating somebody right now, and the more you're with them, the less you want to be with them, Call it a day, all right? Move on, break up, stop the whole dating thing because if you can't endure a long car ride with him now, all right, because all the noise he makes and songs he listens to, things he says, whatever that looks like, if you can't endure that long car ride now, picture 55 more years of really long car rides with him and what does that equal? And if you're picturing, I can't do that, then you need to go ahead and move on now, all right? This extended time, this browsing in the lilies as it's called here in this verse is simply them experiencing each other, experiencing their relationship, spending intentional, lengthy amounts of time together. This is different than casual dating, all right? When I meet with couples for premarital counseling, I I oftentimes have them uh, fill out uh, the same questionnaire, all right? So they get the same questionnaire, but they got to go to separate rooms. Maybe some of you have done this before. Separate rooms to answer the same questions. And what I'm trying to find out, I'm not asking romantic questions. I'm asking practical questions. I want to find out what they've talked about. So I ask questions like, what are your future hopes and dreams? What are her future hopes and dreams? Do you want to have kids? If yes, how many? Will both of you work? Who's, is somebody going to be going to school while the other works? What's your financial goals? Where do you want to live? How do you want your families to participate in your marriage? How do you plan to follow God in your relationship? All this kind of stuff. And here's what I've discovered. There are people out there who want to get married to each other who've never talked about that stuff. They they go, well, we got this strong physical attraction and this chemistry thing and we have fun on roller coasters together. We should get married. And they think that that chemistry will be enough to sustain a marriage. Newsflash, it won't. It's not enough. Let me give you some examples. If she wants to have five kids and you want to have three, that's something you can probably negotiate through and work through and navigate through. If she doesn't want to have any kids at all and you want to have your own family traveling band, you know, you're picturing the Partridge family and the big Volkswagen. You you got a problem. That's, That's a red flag. If his expectation is that you will always work because his mom always worked, but you don't want to always work, whether you want to go to school or have kids and then stay home, whatever that looks like, you better navigate that ahead of time, not once you're married. So that can blow up in marriage. If, if he expects to live in a big fancy home and be a member of every country club, but you're cool in an RV and eating at the Golden Corral every night, you just want to talk about that ahead of time, about your lifestyle expectations, all right? Let me give you one more. This is, this is a tough one, okay? If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're pursuing him with all your heart. You're you're, you're a follower of Jesus and, and she's not or he's not. That's just a huge red flag. I'd love to gloss over this, but the Bible doesn't, so I've got to point to it, because that's what we do, all right? The Bible says it this way. Don't be unequally yoked. And that doesn't mean one person's better than the other. If the metaphor is when you picture horses or cows or oxen or whatever, which made a lot of sense in Bible times, not as much for us, all right? 
But when you hitch them together, they have, to pers- they have to pull in the same direction at the same time for the same purpose at the same goal or the whole thing doesn't work, right? The same is true in marriage. You get hitched with somebody, okay? I'm from Kentucky. That metaphor still works, okay? You get hitched with somebody. You're a follower of Jesus. They're not. You just have different goals, different purpose at the fundamental level. That's just going to be really, really hard to navigate. You see, you can only get to this stuff through an extended amount of time together and an intentionality about that time. But let me give this disclaimer. The time you spend together in this extended amount of time together shouldn't be forced, okay? If you don't find yourself naturally desiring to reveal more of who you are and desiring to know more of who they are, then that's probably a red flag because it says he browses in the lilies, not that he carefully examines all the lilies, all right? This is laid back. This is natural. This is not forced. This is the time where you reveal more and more of who you are. You see, there's a tendency in dating to put your best foot forward, right? That's like your greatest hits deal. I mean, you spend a whole lot of time putting your best foot forward. This is beyond that. This is when you reveal the B side of your album, right? This is when you show to this other person the things that you've been holding back, the things that you don't necessarily want anybody to see or hear. This is the big reveal. This is where the baggage gets talked about. This is where it gets brought to light. And here's the deal. If that person responds by being repulsed, that person responds with disgust. Now, I'm not just talking about the initial shock. You've got to let somebody kind of process some of that. But if they can't just get past your past... Move on. Move on. If last week the teaching was that dating should be marked or etched with a high regard, a high respect, a high level of romance, and a high level of restraint, well, then when things get serious like they are this week, then it should include all of that plus a deeper level of revelation. Call it disclosure. Call it sharing. Whatever. It's revealing who you are, putting your heart on the line, and seeing if that person's trustworthy with it. Let me tell you what you're looking for, okay? I'm going to even tell you what you're looking for. Author Stacy Eldridge, John Eldridge's wife, just down in the springs, says it this way. You're looking for someone who gives you the grace to be and the space to become. The grace to be and the space to become. In other words, you're looking for someone who loves you just as you are, treasures you, regards you just as you are, just how they found you, just how you discovered each other. They are deeply in love with you as you are, but at the same time will give you the freedom to become who God wants you to be. And here's the key, without trying to manipulate or dictate that process. That's huge, isn't it? You're looking for someone who gives you the grace to be and the space to become. There's also a second component to this extended time together, all right? There's, there's growing sexual desire. When she says, turn my lover and be like a gazelle or like a young stag on the rugged hills. A lot of translations say, turn and be like a young stag on the hills of Bether. There were no hills of Bether. There are no hills of Bether. Hills of Bether translates out hills of separation. All right, now audience participation time. Hills of separation. What physical part of a woman's body might that represent? Go. (laughs) Say it. Go for it. Come on. Oh, you're so scared. You're going to make me say it. Boobs. All right. That's what it represents. All right. That's what it's standing for. She's saying, listen, listen, listen. She's saying, I saw your display of athleticism as you approached the house, bounding over those hills. How about you come try some of that out on me? That's what she's saying. Okay. That's, that's what she's saying. Time out. I love that. 
as a guy, I go, wow, that's awesome. Because guys are always portrayed as the sexual aggressor. Not in this story. This is the second time she's looked at this dude and gone, I want you. I want you now. I want you bad. And did you, listen, listen. It's good. That's good. Did you hear me? Let me say it again. That's good. That's appropriate. That's right. That doesn't mean it's time to go for it. Like Jim said last week, there's a, there's a time and a place to please righteousness. You don't just go feed the desire as quickly as possible. But let me say this. It's entirely normal for your sexual desire to try to outpace or at least keep pace with your emotional, mental, and spiritual connections. Does that make sense? You have to be aware that your sexual desire, your sexual connection is going to try to outpace probably all the other connections you have with that person you're with. If you allow it to get ahead of the rest, you run the risk of stunting the growth of the rest of your relationship, the rest of your garden, the rest of your vineyard, so to speak. But as you get to know each other on all different kinds of levels, it's perfectly good and right for you to desire each other more and more at the sexual level because emotional intimacy will move you, propel you, and pave the way towards sexual intimacy every time. When I was a high school pastor, and if you've got kids who are in high school, if you're a high school student in here, listen, okay? You don't need to share all your stuff, all your baggage, all your hurts, all your hopes, all your dreams, all the deep, intimate thoughts that run through your brain with the person you're dating when you're in high school or middle school for that matter, okay? Because that level of connection, that emotional intimacy, which is what it is, always, 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 we all know this, who've been down this road, paves the way to physical intimacy every time without exception. It pushes you and propels you that direction. So if you're in middle school or high school, marriage is probably way off in the distance, okay? So making that connection now and thinking you can, can, can sustain that relationship until somewhere way off in the distance is probably not going to happen. And here's the truth. For anybody who enters into a serious relationship, you need to understand that's directional. And it needs to end in either marriage, begin in marriage, or The relationship needs to end. And here's the truth. A lot of us know it's a million times harder to break up with somebody you've had sex with than someone you haven't. That's just true. That's why this whole old-fashioned courtship deal was such a public thing. Older married couples have historically known from their own experience, you don't just turn your daughter loose to go off alone with some young stag and expect them to be able to control themselves. That's why empty basements and back seats and apartments and houses are not good places to spend this extended amount of time together. You're just setting yourself up. All right, let's, let's, let's move on. In case, in case you thought I was joking about how sexually charged this woman is, check out chapter 3, verse 1 through 4. Look at this. She sings, all night long on my bed, I looked for the one my heart loves. I looked for him, but did not find him. I will get up now and I'll go about the city through its streets and squares. I'll search for the one my heart loves. So I looked for him, but didn't find him. The watchmen found me as they made their rounds in the city. Have you seen the one my heart loves? Scarcely had I passed them when I found the one my heart loves. I held him and would not let him go till I had brought him to my mother's house, to the room of the one who conceived me. Lots of confusing stuff in there. Let me, let me explain, all right? 
She's up all night dreaming about him, hoping that he's going to jump in bed with her. That, that's the deal. She wants him so bad, she gets up in the middle of the night and goes looking for him. It's at least early in the morning because the watchmen are still making their rounds. She finds him, she grabs hold of him, won't let him go, and then brings him home. But here's the key. She doesn't sneak him in through the window into her bedroom. Where does she go? Her parents' bedroom. Okay? Can you say Awkward. I mean, dads, this is why you keep a gun, right? She brings the boy into the room in the middle of the night. You shoot him and go back to sleep. That's the way it works, right? But she brings him to her parents' bedroom for a couple of presumed reasons, all right? Because they know they better not, better not go anywhere alone because this is a sexually charged moment, all right? And what better way to temporarily extinguish the fires of sexual desire than to be marched into your future in-law's bedroom in the middle of the night, Right. So they do that. Then this is probably to either set a wedding date or to move the wedding date up. She's going, Mom, Dad, we got to get this show on the road. We, we got. And that's where we're going next week. Marriage happens really quick. We're going to ta- tackle that next week. And again, we see this familiar advice in the midst of kind of this heated, sexually charged moment from the man saying, Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and by the does of the field. Do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. In other words, this is good. He's not reprimanding. He's saying, soon, very, very soon, just not yet. Not until the right time, not until the right place. So, let's land here. Let me, let, let me give you some homework this week, Okay. And I want to give it to you in the form of the prayers I've been praying for you, for us, for this community for the past couple weeks. I've been praying these things, all right? This first one, you're going to go, I wish you wouldn't pray that for me because it sounds kind of harsh. Here it is, all right? My prayer is that some of you, and I'm talking to unmarried people, okay? I'm not talking to married people. My prayer is that some of you will break up now. My prayer is that some of you will break up now. I, I seriously think that would probably be a good thing for some people this weekend. And I want you to feel very, very free to do that as you walk out of here today. Take some time to process whatever. I'm not telling you immediately. I'm just saying I'm hoping as you pray and as you process and as you go through this that you'll feel the freedom to break up. Because far too often, people just resort to marriage. Here's what I mean. Let me say this. Even if you're engaged... Even if the invitations have been sent out, it is easier to send out a cancellation than to mail out divorce papers. It is easier to tell everybody the wedding is off than for everybody to wish they had their gift back in a few weeks. All right, isn't it? If it's been a really rocky, roller coaster, up and down, horrible dating relationship, what makes you think marriage will make it any better? It won't. It won't fix anything. My second prayer is this. My prayer is that some of you will have the courage to have that DTR. That you will define your relationship. That, that you'll ask those hard questions. Hopefully tonight. Where, where is this going? What, what are we? What's this all about? And you'll be able to make a decision. We're either going to take the next step towards something more serious. We're going to kind of live in this casual dating world a little bit longer. Or we're just going to kind of end this deal. And move on. My prayer is that some of you will get married. Honestly, my prayer is some of you will get married soon. That would be great. Some of you, if you've known for a while, you're going to get married. And, and let me give you some advice. Don't, don't be engaged for forever, okay? I recommend no longer than six-month engagements. That's just me talking. If you think it's hard to restrain yourself sexually while you're dating or while you're serious, it's 10 bazillion million times harder when you're engaged. It just is. Lengthy dating, short engagements. That's kind of the general plan. 
Fourth prayer is this. My prayer is that some of you will be found by this kind of love that we've been talking about. Back to Jim's illustration about you pursuing God and as you pursue God, as you follow Jesus, looking over and seeing if there's somebody next to you, my prayer is that some of you will find somebody running right beside you so that you can find that kind of love where you can reveal who you are at your deepest level and be safe and secure and loved, the kind of love where you'll be given the space to grow and become who God wants you to be. Which means, by the way, not settling for any less than that and being willing to wait for it Several years ago, I took some high school students to a concert. We went and saw the band Coldplay um, in Cincinnati at, at the riverfront. And it was a great show. And one of the last songs they played that night was a song called Till Kingdom Come. It was a song they wrote to perform with Johnny Cash that they never got to perform with him beca- before he died. And this song, in so many ways, puts modern language to what the Song of Solomon, the Song of Songs, was communicating 3,000 years ago. As you listen to this song, you're going to hear the words of someone who is head over heels, upside down, turned around in love. And for some of you in here, as you listen to the words of this song, it's going to conjure up a name and a face. The problem is it's going to conjure up the name and a face of someone you lost. So I would encourage you during this time to to pray, to talk to God, to ask Him to continue to heal that, and perhaps to pray that He would bring someone new who could provide that kind of love. For some of you, I hope for a lot of us, this will conjure up a name and a face of someone we're with. Someone we're married to. And I pray that my prayer is that you'll sit during this time and pray that that God will continue to help this relationship to grow, to blossom between you. Whether you've been married at 80 years or two years. For some of you, this is going to conjure up just a silhouette. There is no name and there is no face. But that is worth waiting for. And so the prayer becomes, God, would you help me wait for that face, that name to become a reality And for a whole bunch of us in here, this may reveal that the person you're with is not this kind of love. So I would encourage you during this time to not back away from that, but to spend some time praying for the courage to wait for the one who is. So... There's two edges to a teaching like this. The first edge is a really cool one because when we teach like this and point to what God's ideal is, it tells us how much God loves us, right? It tells us that God has this thing designed for us. He's going, I want you to have pleasure. I want you to experience this deal, all right? And that's a, that's a cool edge. But the problem is there's another edge to it, right? Because that standard is something that I would venture to say probably none of us in this room have lived up to. So that can be hurtful. That, that can hurt deeply. That can, that, can be, that can bring up wounds. That can bring up pain. Which is why God sweeps in with this thing called grace. And says from cover to cover in the Bible, listen, listen, from this point on, regardless of what's behind, I know what you did, and I'm not going to hold it against you. Just pursue me. Just pursue my heart. That kind of love, whether you are single, engaged, married, dating, on the back end of a relationship, wherever you are, you have this heavenly Father who summons you and calls you to His heart and says, you can trust me with your heart. He's got character like none other. And that is an amazing truth, that he really, really is more than enough, no matter where you find yourself in this life. Let's pray. God, we come before you and thank you for who you are. Uh, Thank you for...
calling us into relationship with you and calling us into relationships with each other. And both are hard. But thanks for calling us into them because the other option is loneliness and we don't want that. God, thanks for providing this wonderful gift called sex and romance and passion and marriage. And God, we so often mishandle all of it. Thank you so much for continuing to say from this point on, thanks for being a God full of grace. Thanks for being more than enough. In Jesus' name, amen.